correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my host, Steve. What's up, hey, Steve? Steve? And what is up, Gamer Nation? So, before we get going, let's shout out our podcast for the week. This is one of my favorite podcasts on the D20 Network. We have the Staggering Dragon. Ah, uh, yes. You want to talk about the Staggering Dragon a little bit, Steve? Sure. So the Staggering Dragon is a bunch of friends that just get together and play RPGs. And to this point, they, they usually do actual plays. And to this point, they've they've used either Star Wars or Genesis. But they did a G.I. Joe actual play that was absolutely hysterical. And while I'm often not one for comedy actual plays, like, they're not necessarily doing comedy so much as they're just funny i don't know how else to explain it you can tell that it's a great group of people and they're really they really just get along and are funny and honestly i'm really enjoying their star wars rpg or their star wars playthrough and it's it's a really good time with that one as well yeah and there's some what do you want to say some zany elements to that but they're all actually really good role players too oh yeah fantastic and you know staggering dragon again when I say it, I mean it's one of my favorite RPG or one of my favorite podcasts. One of my favorite RPGs. Yeah, I, I'm all there today. Uh, no, it's one of my favorite podcasts, and it's one of my favorite podcasts on our network. And yeah, I really, really like that show, and really like what they put out, and they put out some really quality content. So yes. Well, with that, and talking about players and and good players, bad players, and everything in between, you want to get into our topic for the week? Sure. So our topic for the week is player buy-in. Yeah. You know, maybe you want to do a little bit of quick defining before we get started into too crazy what we would mean when we say buy-in. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of interesting you say that because, you know, sometimes I actually try to do some research on our topics. Not that often, but occasionally I do. And so I had a minute this afternoon and I went to try and look and see if anybody else, you know, like on YouTube had done a video about buy-in, you know, be it, you know, Seth Gorkowski or how to be a great GM or, you know, I mean, there's, there's tons of RPG videos out, right? I couldn't find a single one. So I put it into just regular old Google search. And I came up with one blog article from 2008. And it struck me as odd because it's something, I mean, you hear it talked about all the time. And it's a term that, you know, even we've thrown it around here on the show. But then I started thinking, I'm like, well, how would you define it? And the the article that I found is actually by a a guy named Martin. I'm going to butcher this last name, but I'm going to say Ralia, R-A-L-Y-A. But it's, it's from 2008 and the Gnome Stew blog. Um, we'll probably put a link in the show notes. But this article is actually talking about how th- their, their premise is that player buy-in trumps GM interest, which isn't really where we're going. But for our purposes, the way they're defining buy-in or player buy-in is the level of excitement your players have about a particular game or setting. The more intense this is, the better your game is going to be. There's just no substitute for stoked players. Yeah, I think... I agree with the sentiment because it is difficult sometimes when 
it's difficult sometimes when your players aren't fully invested in something to try and sell them on a RPG concept. Like this has been my number one, like my go-to issue with getting people to try things that aren't D and D is that people are like, eh, I know D and D. I know what that is. I don't know what this is. And I don't know that I'm necessarily here for the world. And that can be hard sometimes for especially new players, but players that are just like new to the hobby, essentially that would be like, Oh yeah, we'll try this thing. That's not, not the go-to. And even, even in the weirder D and D settings, buy-in can be hard. You know, Eberron selling Eberron to somebody can be like, yeah, it's fantasy, but it's not what you think. You know what I mean? No, yeah, it is. And but I think you know, it, it to a certain point, I think that, you know their definition of it as far as player excitement is accurate. But I think you you brought up and and to go to another monetary term, it is the the player investment in the game, so to speak. Yeah, and with buy-in, it's it's purely one of those things that is purely subjective because. What I might be interested in and what you might be interested in might be two very different things. Now, I know that we have very similar interests, but, you know, as far as maybe maybe a game that I might really love, but you just really don't care about the setting or you don't care about this feature of it or that, you know, it, it is your investment and your personal investment into into the story, into the world, into the gameplay. I mean player buy-in i've been ruined by you know if i don't like the gameplay of something i'll be like eh, i'm not fully invested into the story because i have to keep playing this game you know what i mean yeah no i completely understand what you're saying and i think for me sometimes that's where i'll fall into the comedy dump where i just start being a goofball because well i'm going to amuse myself and i yeah. don't do it i don't think in a way to be disruptive but you know from an outside perspective maybe it Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't. I, I've been with you on those journeys, and I don't think usually you do it to be disruptive. I think usually you're doing it to keep yourself entertained. And that's that is something that that's a little bit different than player buy in in a way. Uh, player buy in is, in my opinion, the player try the player being fully invested into into the story, into the game, into the whatever. Um, what you're doing there and by keeping yourself entertained, I, I don't know that that's necessarily buy-in on the world or buy-in on the game. It's more of, I think, just, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Self-amusement. <laughs> right, it is. It's self-amusement. But at the same point, I guess maybe that does keep you a little more invested in the game because if you're not latching on to anything else, at least you're keeping yourself present. So I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because I've been, I've played in RPGs where the players are just like, they're there physically, but they are just not there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think you've played in a couple too, where it's like you sit down at the table and it's normally somebody, you know, I've, I've played with people that normally it's normally they're there. Normally they're on point, but today for whatever reason, whether it be outside life stuff or just that they don't care about the story at this point, they're just not there. Like they're physically at the table, but they're not playing the game. They're not really interacting in the ways that you, you interact with an RPG. And you know, I get that. I've been there myself. I've, everybody has where, you know, you feel obligated to play and, and you don't want to miss a session, but maybe you have other things going on and that's just what's in your head. 
And, you know, I don't fault anybody because like I said, I've been there myself. I've, I, in my younger days, when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons and bored out of my mind, I would sit and watch the hockey game on my phone while playing D and D. Well, that was the only game I could get. So it was, I mean, it was what it was, but I'm not proud of that. That's not something that I'm like, oh yeah, I used to do this. It was just the fact of, and that's another sign of, especially now, if your players are Unless there's somebody who's known to be like constantly on their phone. But if your players are constantly on their phone or constantly like doing other things that aren't interacting with the game, maybe your buy-in's not all there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it's time to have that conversation at the table and go, hey, is everybody still having fun? Are we still entertained or, you know, what's going on? How can we make this better? And I think sometimes, you know, we talk about taking a break when something crazy happens, I think sometimes when the lull in the game starts happening, you need to take a break and go, hey, all right, so I can tell that you guys aren't really fully bought in. What can I do to make that better? You know, what can I do to help get buy-in? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a weird thing because I think, you know, there's so many factors to it because I think there's, there's the story, there's character, both player character, you know, our art, you into the character you're playing but also are there npcs that in the world that you really like like the whole setting could be kind of ho-hum but if there's an npc or two that you really like that's that's something that draws you in oh yeah you know it could be the the world the setting itself and i think it also for some people anyway it can be the game system you're using but I think most of the time it's some weird stew of all those things. I completely agree. And, and again, I, th- I think that's, and you can start where your buy-in is really high and this happens. This happens to everybody. This happens all the time where you'll start a campaign. You'll be really excited to start this campaign. And the first session goes great. And you're excited for that second session. The second session's awesome. But by session 10, <laughs> everybody's sitting there going, uh-huh. Yeah. So here we are, 10 sessions in. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I think that's the thing, too, where if you get people like, like me or, or, you know, maybe you as well, you know, I don't know all of your internal thought processes, but I'll get really, really psyched on a, on a certain game because of the, the setting or, or something that, you know, could be nostalgia, could be whatever. And so I'm all excited, but I don't always pay enough attention to if everybody else is not necessarily as excited as I am, but are they just following along because, oh, Steve's excited, so we'll do that because he wants to. Um, I try to be a little bit conscious of that. It depends. If I'm running the game, I try to be a little bit, a lot more conscious of that than, than if I'm just playing. Because if I'm just playing and I'm really digging a game, I'm sorry, but if I'm just playing, I don't have, well, I mean, I have control over the game and the game world, but I don't have control over, you know, other players in the game. You know what I'm saying? If I'm running a game, I am more conscious about, okay, am I just excited for this or is everybody actually just as excited for this as I am? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I try to run games that I try to run games that if everybody at the table's having fun, that's my ideal. That's my ideal game. You know, I I, obviously as a, as a DM, you don't want to run, you don't want to just run a game for yourself. I think that can be a trap sometimes because sometimes we get in that mindset of, no, I just, I'm just running this for me. (laughs) 
And yeah, you know, that's fine, but don't drag people along for that, especially if they're not, if they're not down for the ride, don't make them, you don't have to be like that just, just because you really want to run a thing. There are other people, you know, there, there are enough people out there that people in the hobby always looking for games that if you're really, really, really determined to run something that maybe your normal table doesn't run, get in one of the discords. There's a ton of great discords with people looking for games. Our discord, there's always people looking for games. You know, if you're a DM and you're willing to run it, you'll find players. If you're a player looking to play something, have you tried DMing? (laughs) Well, you know, that's, that's, I mean, that's always kind of been a thing with, you know, if, if you want to play less common games, sometimes you have to run them. Yeah. I'm sorry to say it like that, but it's just kind of the way it is, is that if you're, if you're a, if you're a player and you really, you're running something that's not quite as common, you might be able to find players that might be something that you can do with no issues. But if not, have you thought about running the game? You know, have you thought about just picking it up and doing it yourself, you know? And if you can, if you run the game, you'll find players. I, it's it's always a guarantee that you'll find somebody who wants to play that, but you'll, you'll have a hard time finding a, a DM. Yeah, yeah. Now, finding people that you can coordinate with time-wise is a whole different kettle that's of fish. That's a different but... <laughs> beast. And yeah, that's a, that's a different beast. But, you know. It's like the old joke about how do you get off a deserted island? Put up an ad that says, looking for game, we'll DM. Yeah, you know, it's it's a joke, but that's the truth, is that looking for game will DM, will you'll bring people in. You know what? Maybe what you'll do, and I've done this myself, maybe you'll bring people in and be like, yeah, I want to play this, and you'll DM for a while, and then you'll go, okay, what do you guys think of the game? And and the people will be like, oh, that's great. I loved it, you know? And maybe one of those people will want to DM the next session, you know, or the next, like, campaign or whatever. Yeah. that That can happen a lot. You know, you start out with rotating DMs, and that's something that I, in my personal gaming career, that's something that I really like because it lets everybody at the table, it lets everybody at the table get their chance. You know? Yeah. I like playing sometimes. I like DMing. Don't get me wrong. I do like to be the DM, but I like to sit down at a table and just play some stuff sometimes. And, you know, with with that, it's... Sometimes you just have to eat a little bit of crow and, and DM for the table, you know? Yeah. And, and there are people who honestly prefer to GM over playing. Yeah. Takes all kinds. Yeah. So I think we sort of got off on to, I think we got off onto a tangent, but it was a related tangent though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, it's at least better than most of our tangents. <laughs> yeah. But I mean like, okay, so to try and circle back in then. Okay, let's say you realize you're having a, a buy-in issue. Um, you know, I think maybe you, one, do you identify, try and identify what it is, which, I mean, if you've got, going back to, you know, our player types episode, which is what, episode two or episode three, I don't know, it's been a while now. Yeah. But if you've got primarily social players, maybe all they're there for is kind of hanging around with friends and a little bit of, you know, hack and slash or whatever. And if you're trying to run, you know, the next great long investigative saga, they're just not there for it, you know? And, and so do you have to, I think you have to evaluate what your table's looking for and what you're looking for. But also I think there are things you can do to increase the buy-in. Yeah. There are things you can do. I, I honestly think that, 
when you're evaluating your table, the best way to do that is just to ask. Yes. What works for you? What's not working for you? Do you like this part? No. Okay. How do we make that better for you? You know, just because one player, I don't want to say it like this, and I, I don't, I'm trying to pick my words very carefully. Um, You can change a whole campaign to fit one player better without hurting the entire table. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can, you can change how things are going to help a player with better engagement to get better buy-in out of them without necessarily ruining the fun for the players that were already engaged. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest, or I should say the biggest, maybe the, the first thing you want to kind of look out for is that make sure you as the GM keep the whole table involved, you know, at least to yeah. the level they want to be involved. Like you'll have players. We've seen this at, at tables that you and I have played at together where you have someone who's, who's there, they're enjoying it, but they're, they're more watching than actively participating most of the time, but that's how they want it. Right. That's some players just want to sit back and, you know, play the shadows and just watch the story unfold. And some players want to be active participants and some players only want to be active participants when it's time for, you know, when things go sideways and that happens. That's just, yeah. I mean, that's just how it is. And I think this again, goes back to, like you said, communication and, and doing that before you even get started and, and having a, a conversation, you know, with everybody at the table to go, Hey, what do you want? What do you want? where can we find a good common ground? And that's your, your session zero, or even, you know, like you mentioned, you can stop mid campaign and so to speak, have another session zero. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to, to take a break and go to take a break and reassess and just take a stop and be like, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt anything. You can do it even after a session and just be like, everything good? Are we are we happy with everything? Is it going in the right direction? Is there something that you're looking for that I'm overlooking? Because I can get tunnel vision. You know, I get tunnel vision myself where I get set on, okay, we're going this way. And my players are like, but, but what's over there? Oh, no, we're going this way. But what's over there? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. You know, oh no, I know I can be very tunnel visiony with things. I I'm quite aware of that, although I'm usually not aware when it's happening. Yeah, exactly, and and that's why I find it important to a ask your players. I ask my players after every session, "Did you have fun?" And then b I will periodically just stop and be like, "Before we get going tonight, is there anything that I'm missing, or anything that you're looking for that I'm not doing? Anything that?" Is there a story beat that I touched on that you're like, you want to go and explore this in this direction, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've had players say, hey, you know, you'd said about this, but we never really went anywhere with it. Could we maybe do something with that? Yeah, definitely. You tell me how you want to get there and we'll get there. And it's a matter of just communication really helps player buy-in. I think one of the biggest fails in DMing can be not communicating with your players. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And like you're, you're starting to touch into what uh, my kind of second thought on this was, is also involving your players in your story, in your world, you know, and, and 
Tyler touched on this a bunch last week. We were talking with him, and if you didn't listen last week, he's the GM for what comes after in Tabletop Tales, that, you know, in his world design, a lot of it came from player ideas that, hey, I want to kind of do this thing. Well, how can we make that work? And so they worked it out together. Or, and, you know, you said you do it a lot. I do it a decent amount. You know, he said he does it where the the, the players are, are brainstorming a thing you know, like how, what, what's going on here? And they come up with an idea and you just look down and scribble out your note and write in what they just said, because one, you like the idea better. But the other thing that I think that does is, you know, it's, it's one of those things that as people, we like to be right. And we like to think that we figured it out and it excites us when we find out that we did. Right. And I I hate to say it. I'll do that. Even if I don't like the idea better and I'll just figure out how I'm going to make that work for me or how I'm going to make that work for the story. You know, even if I don't necessarily like the direction that they want to go in, I don't really like that's that's fine. Hey, at the end of the day, when you're GMing, it is about having fun, but it's also about making sure everybody else had fun, too. And losing sight of that and getting focused on your fun over other people's fun is not it's it's not the right thing to do i should say yeah but i mean to a certain point we're we're all selfish to one extent or another it's just human nature that's that's true but it's just you just have to be you just have to be a little bit more conscious of it yeah yeah but i think again but that's that's still that's communication is all it really is but i think yeah that or as a gm looking at the things that your players seem to latch on to and and including more of that yeah throwing throwing more of what your players grab onto throwing more of what your players want to see and i think one thing that i don't know i think something that has to be has to be said is not everyone okay so your personal rpg is not necessarily being streamed or played for the world so you got to think about your audience as the players at the table and like maybe you do run a stream and that's fine and and so you're trying to be so you're trying to be entertaining for what's happening in that stream but if you're not and you're just playing a private campaign then focus on the people at the table because they're the ones, them and yourself are the ones that are the audience for this. Yeah. They're the ones that you're trying to keep entertained. They're the ones that you're trying to have fun with. Not, not necessarily, you know, anybody else, not any onlookers necessarily. They're the ones that you're trying to keep engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you hit on a point there with the audience thing and it's, you have to give the audience what they want to keep them excited about the show. Yeah. And if I could tangent a little bit here, <laughs> I've seen Garth Brooks live twice and I'm not a huge Garth Brooks fan. I'm not even a big country fan as a general rule, but here's what Garth, the one Garth is an amazing showman just in, in the first place, but that's not the point I'm trying to make when I've seen him. He's had, recent albums out that didn't really you know they were they're more personal projects that he did because it's what he wanted to do so out of a we'll say a two-hour set he does eh, maybe two or three songs from those albums and the whole rest of the show is him doing all the classics that the whole arena is singing along with because he knows that's what they came there for i'm just gonna ask you something and i know it's 
super not on target. Did you see Garth Brooks when he had his Chris Gaines albums out? No. Okay, because that would have been like late 90s. No, I think those were actually while he stopped touring. Okay. No, I saw him about five years ago, six years ago, and then again about four years ago, I think. I was just asking because you were talking about Garth Brooks and like his personal stuff. And I'm like, the only thing that I know that Garth Brooks puts out that like isn't isn't typically super popular is when he puts out an album under his like, I don't know if it's his actual name or what it is, but he puts out those Chris Gaines albums and they're pretty terrible. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) no, no. But but like I said, it's he knows what the crowd came to see. And so that's what he's going to give you. And he's going to throw in a song or two that he wants to do because it means something to him. But most of the show is what the people paid to come see. And to put that into an RPG context, if you're doing the things that you want to do as a DM and your players don't want that, sooner or later, your players just aren't going to be there. And and the buy-in dropping off is the step before the bodies start not being there, too. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I, it is just, it, it's one of those things where people just, and I, we've played, I've harped on this before, but we've played in sessions where it's, it is mostly the DM just trying to do what the DM wants to do. And everybody at the table's like, not in. And <laughs> Well, I think maybe that's a, a trap that particularly newer GMs or DMs fall into running pre-written material. I could understand that because, you know, one, you're, you're already kind of nervous because you're not, it's not a role that you're comfortable in and GMing can be very stressful. You know, there's that performance anxiety element to it. Yeah. I know for myself, yeah, GMing can be very stressful. Like sometimes you just really, that's why sometimes when we would play in, in our personal session, when I'm GMing, I'll just go. Hey, can somebody do like a one shot or something? I need a break this week. Mm -hmm. Like I had a long week. I just need somebody to run something that isn't me. So I don't have to. And sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes you just have to throw it out there and be like, hey, guys, I need a break. I need to step away from myself to keep you involved, to keep everything fresh. Is there anything, you know, we can do, even if it's just sitting down and and playing something goofy at the table or, you know, whatever. But yeah, sometimes you need that uh, palate cleanser. Yeah. Sometimes you just get, it's just too dark. It's too gritty. It's too much. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing is, is if the tone that, that you're going for in a game isn't what other people want in a game, that can, can be really hard for them to buy in, even if they want to enjoy it. You know, and, and for me, you know, I mean, look, it's no secret. And, and we talked about it a little bit last. I love horror role-playing games, but I'm not big into horror movies or horror books for the most part. And I, I know it's kind of strange, but I, I've also learned that horror role-playing games aren't for everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's just how it is. But I mean, like, yeah, it's a weird thing because you do have to, you know, if you're the one GMing, you you do have to keep your own interest up. And that would, this article that we talked about at the beginning, their their whole point really is they have this rather, I mean, it's like a Microsoft Paint illustration, but there's, there's the line of GM interest and player buy-in. And if they're both high, it's awesome. But that doesn't happen very often in the real world. And they have this thing that they're calling the zone of pleasant surprises, which is that point in which 
as the GM, you're above the, oh, heck no, I don't want to do that level, but not necessarily by a whole lot, up to where the player's buy-in level is, is what they're calling the zone of pleasant surprises. And it can be really fun. Yeah, I I think that's where I differ, and I, I don't want to make it a critique on this, what is now 13-year-old blog post. Anyways, um, yeah, 2008 was 13 years ago. You didn't think about that for a second. Um, <laughs> not that I want to necessarily sit here and make it about this. I super disagree with this old blog post, but I, I agree with some of the things they said. I, I have some arguments with the other stuff. I disagree with their little chart of buy-in because... I don't know, my personal, it's a personal thing. It's a, everybody's a little bit different and I'm down to try anything once. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. And I'm not saying that I think this, that they're right on, but I think there is some value to going, well, I don't hate the idea. Let's try it. And maybe you do find a lot of fun in it, which I think is what you're saying. Oh yeah. I, I could understand that. I could understand that. I, I'm saying a lot more along the lines of their like bottom end of that is, no, I won't. And it's like, well, but there's nothing that I would really say, no, I won't too. You know what I mean? Fair. There's like, I've run at this point. The only thing I would say, no, I won't to is D and D and I've run D and D and would run D and D again and probably will run D and D before I die. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, um, but yeah, player buy-in it's a, it's a very delicate balance mm -hmm. and making sure your players are invested, making sure that you're invested making sure that everybody's having a good time it can be it can be a tough one and you know it's something that that's one of those things that we talk about and we try and give advice and and point you in directions but if you're new to dming or gming it's going to be one of those things where the only thing that's going to help with your player buy-in and help you make sure your players are having the best best game they can is time. And, you know, that's not necessarily the most satisfying answer, but if you're a new, it's going to take some time to develop the skills and understand, because we could say these words all day long, but you're not necessarily going to understand what I'm saying when I say, oh yeah, you need to actually take a break and, and ask the players, hey, what do you like? What do you don't like? And then understanding and comprehending what they're telling you they like and don't like. You know what I mean? I know as a, when I was a new DM, if I'd asked my players, hey, what do you like? What do you don't like? And they'd have told me, I really like this and I don't like that understanding how to roll that back would have been, would have been a, a very serious challenge for me. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that's very fair. And I, I say, I had another thought if, if you're finished up there. Yeah, pretty much. And, and this again goes back to when you're getting ready to start running something is and, and tying into communication is that you need to have kind of a clear core conceit concept of where you want to go with the game and communicate that to your players so that you you both know what you're aiming for. And again, I think this is, this is something where with pre-published campaigns in particular, especially for newer players and GMs, they're like, oh, well, we're going to go have an adventure. And that's as far as they know it. <laughs> and how do I want to say this? To a certain point, for me at this point in my life, in my gaming career, I want something more focused than that. Yeah. And I think with pre-published, one of the things that you need to be aware of with pre-published adventures is please, please. And I know it's not always possible because time constraints are a thing. Please read ahead of where you think your players would be. You know, please have an understanding before you go into session one 
maybe read like half or better than half of that pre-published module. So you know, okay, I know that at the halfway point, we're here. Have an understanding of that book, even though it's pre-written and you're playing out of it, you should still have an understanding of what what's coming up, what's coming next, and how to portray that to your players. Because one of the things that can be like, I know DMs want to be surprised as much as players want to be surprised, but planning ahead and reading ahead really makes a, a big difference. See, I as a GM, I don't look to be surprised by the story that's that's in the book, so to speak. I'm looking to be surprised by what the players do and how I've got to adjust the dance because of it. See, I agree with that. But one of the things that I've seen and I've done and been in campaigns where this happens, where people will, I don't know, I read like the first or the first like quarter of this. Let's go ahead and start running it. And then we get halfway through and they're like, uh, uh, um, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. No, yeah, that you really should avoid that. And I mean, I personal opinion, if you're going to run something pre-published, read the whole darn thing. Yeah, or at least read ahead where like read ahead of your players at least. Oh, yes, definitely. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm I'm not going to tell you to go out there and go crazy and like you don't have to read the whole book before you sit down at session 1, but have a have a good clip of it completed before you sit down at session 1 so you're not running into that point where your players are ahead of you. And if your players start get to a point where they're going to be ahead of you, wrap the session. You know, just go, "Hey guys, I haven't read that far ahead. We're going to call it here. I'm going to do some more research. I'm going to read ahead. We're going to be ready for next session and we're going to pick up from where we left off. Yeah. Cause that's a thing I think that, that will, will cut into your, your players buy-in is if you're stumbling and fumbling because you're caught flat footed and yeah. it's going to happen sometimes. Oh, all the time. But your players are going to do something that you're going to be like, uh, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but that's, so to speak, I think to me, that's, that's the, the, the real trick to learning a GM is, is getting that sense that that's happening and, and being able to just sort of run with it. And even if it doesn't really matter to the overall story, run with that, because if you run with that, then you can be in the back of your head thinking about what do you need to do for the regular thing? You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand completely. And so I think I think we're sort of at this point. Uh, I think it's time for game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. Oh my, that was a mess to get to here. But okay. Well, you know what? Uh, it's it's a weird topic, but I think it's one that bears thinking about. Yeah, it's it bears thinking about. All right, on a lighter note, let's get to Game of the Week. All right. Well, what do you got? I went perusing through my drive through RPG wish list, which is where I tend to put things that I see and go, ooh, maybe I'll, I'll use that for Game of the Week, or maybe I'll, I'll use that for Game of the Week, or someday I'll pick that up just because. So I found this a while back, and I don't remember when, but what I found is a game called Like I Give a Bleep, <laughs> and that is literally what it is. I'm not censoring for the podcast or whatever the title of the game is like i give a bleep but then in parentheses the life and times of a mad scientist what this is is a solo game focused on 
the wild lives of mad scientists and hyper genius adventurers. And so it's just like, to be honest, the title is what, what struck me that, and it's all of $3 and 33 cents. So what do you have to lose? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it says, you know, the, you can easily play as a straight-laced game of serious ethical considerations as a wild, as a wild sur- surrealistic comic romp. Okay, they're missing an or. <laughs> you can easily play as a straight-laced game of serious ethical considerations or as a wild surrealistic comic romp through time and space. Emulate your favorite mad scientist and wild adventurer cartoons, movies, and TV shows. Lean into whatever and feel whatever feel and style you love. Cool. I might have to try that as like a fun thing to play. Yeah, I mean for for three bucks. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it, three it, bucks. That's worth it. It uses. They're calling it the Motif Story Engine, which is a three D six resolution system. Um. Yeah. I mean, it. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. And like I said, the title's what caught my imagination, but the the cover art's pretty neat. Cool. All right. Um. So I have one called Paranormal Affairs Canada. Paranormal. Okay. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Typey, typey things. Okay. Do you need me to send it over to no, you? No, I found it. Okay. Runs off Fate Core System. This is just sort of a, it's, it's a lot of creatures. It looks like it is a little bit of just weird, like Canadian folklore and, and like that sparkling lakes filled with horned serpents, sprawling forests infested with Wendigos. Friendly cities hiding vampires, dark gods trying to rise, and it just says, Welcome to Canada. <laughs> and I mean, that sounds like a good time. I could probably have some pretty serious fun with this. It doesn't seem too heavy. It doesn't seem too serious. It really seems like it's one of those things where it's just a fun little RPG, or, you know, even if it's just a set of rules for an RPG about the weird, the weird mystical things of canada you know if you're into cryptozoology that's a fun time i like stuff like that so yeah well you know what too and i'm just looking through the the profile the preview there's the, the word um yeah but it looks like there's let's see there's there's a bit of a book here there's 115 pages of bestiary yeah. So the other thing you could do, and, and I've heard a lot of people talk really, you know, really highly of like Monster of the Week and so forth. You could use this as like a, a bestiary for something like that. Yeah. And the book's only five bucks. It's 400 or $400, $4.79 in PDF for a bestiary. That's not bad. Yeah. You know, for just a list of monsters, that's really not a bad bad idea and and it is a game i mean at the end of the day it's a game you can try it i i mean but yeah they have rules for characters they have rules for all kinds of stuff and it looks like a fun i see, i don't see why you couldn't uh pull a lot of this into like you have that uh fate power dresden files mm-hmm. yeah that's sort of why i was looking at it <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of why i was like on my radar i'm like hmm i could uh i have some fate here i could uh Use a little bit of, ooh. <laughs> so, yeah, it, you know. And if you wanted to play something silly, it's it's a game called Paranormal Affairs Canada. I'm sure you could dial up the, the A's and, and all of that. So. Yeah. It, the, 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 the front cover looks kind of comic booky. Yeah. Like, but... But you never know. I mean, it, it, and just because the game doesn't intend to take itself seriously does not mean that you couldn't have fun doing it that way. 
Nope. And and that's a lot of games just because they don't I I you know, Paranoia is I've heard that game played very, very jokingly. And then I've heard that game played super serious. And and the game is a little mix of everything. And that's one of those ones where not necessarily, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be played serious. And that's what this looks like. You could play it serious, you could play it silly, you know. Play the game how you want to play it. So you can you can play you know Dudley Do Right Call of Cthulhu. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> would that not be fun? Yes, it would. Oh, <laughs> like like I said, it, a, a Hardy Boys Call of Cthulhu game would be a. <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, this does. This looks like a hell of a lot, or potentially a hell of a lot of fun, anyway. And it's got a lot of material for five bucks. Yeah. You're talking about like a three hundred page book. And it says two nineteen on the screen, but. Still, I mean, like I said, the, you know, I went through the, the indexes in the preview and like 115 pages of it is monsters. Yeah. But with that, we do want to thank you for listening and thank you for coming out. You want to check us out. You can find us on Discord, me and Steve Talk RPGs, on Twitter at... Um, and RPGs. And RPGs. Facebook, me and Steve Talk RPG, or me and Steve RPG podcast. Yeah, you could leave us a review on be it Apple or whatever podcast service yeah, you whatever use. Whatever podcast service you use. Soon, maybe eventually, I'll just put this out there. I will maybe eventually be posting content myself on TikTok under me and Steve Talk RPGs, but I don't know what I'm going to be posting there as of yet. I just am working on something. A maple syrup golem. Ooh. <laughs> Sticky. <laughs> uh-huh. It's uh, second edition of D&D was great because mimics had this ability called glue. And so you would touch them and they would stick to you. Yeah. And uh, I just think of that with a maple syrup golem. <laughs> I think like you, you take a swing at it and like your sword gets stuck in it. And then like maple syrup oozes down the handle and now you're stuck to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to like, you are just now sticky for the rest of the campaign. Congratulations. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. But that said, you know, if, if, yeah, if you have something you want to hear us do, swing through the Discord, you know, all the links are in the show notes or email us or any of that stuff. Yeah. Come on by our Discord. Seriously, we have a great group of people who hang out in our Discord. Always conversations. You can have talks with, you know, you never know who's going to pop into our show or pop out of our show and, and, like just all kinds of people, all kinds of cool conversations happening on our Discord at any point. Occasionally, we run like one shots and whatnot, depending on yeah time and commitments. You know, uh, this past weekend, I I ran a one shot where I killed all the players. Well, actually, I didn't. Yeah. They did, but you know, Delta Green. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know what? They all died, but they all had a blast. Well, that's that's what matters. Is if as long as the players had fun, that's that's a good goal. Yep. But we do want to thank you for coming out, and we want to remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Intro and outro music by the band Twelve Noon. You can email us at me and Steve RPG at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash me and Steve RPG. Thank you and be kind to each other. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.